Section 25 of Word Portraits of Famous Writers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fostio. Word Portraits of Famous Writers. Edited by Mabel E. Watton. Samuel Taylor Coleridge. 1772-1834. From De Quincey's Life and Writings. I had received directions for finding out the house where Coolidge was visiting, and in riding down a main street of Bridgewater I noticed a gateway corresponding to the description given me. Under this was standing and gazing about him a man whom I shall describe. In height he might seem to be about five feet eight. He was in reality about an inch and a half taller, but his figure was of an order which drowns the height. His person was broad and full, and tended even to corpulence. His complexion was fair though not what painters technically style fair, because it was associated with black hair. His eyes were large and soft in their expression, and it was from the peculiar haze or dreaminess which mixed with their light that I recognized my object. This was Coolidge. 1807. From Brian Proctor's Recollection of Men of Letters. Coolidge had a weighty head, dreaming gray eyes, full sensual lips, and a look and manner which were entirely wanting in firmness and decision. His motions also appeared weak and undecided, and his voice had nothing of the sharpness or ring of a resolute man. When he spoke his words were thick and slow, and when he read poetry his utterance was altogether a chant. About 1820. From Froude's Life of Carlyle I have seen many curiosities, not the least of them I reckon Coolidge, the Kantian metaphysician, and quondam lake poet. I will tell you all about our interview when we meet. Figure a fat, flabby, incurvated personage, at once short, rotund, and relaxed, with a watery mouth, a snuffy nose, a pair of strange, brown, timid, yet earnest-looking eyes, a high tapering brow, and a great bush of gray hair, and you have some faint idea of Coolidge. He is a kind, good soul, full of religion and affection and poetry and animal magnetism. His cardinal sin is that he wants will. He has no resolution. He shrinks from pain or labor in any of its shapes. His very attitude bespeaks this. He never straightens his knee joints. He stoops with his fat, ill-shapen shoulders, and in walking he does not tread, but shovel and slide. My father would call it scluffing. He is always busied to keep, by strong and frequent inhalations, the water of his mouth from overflowing, and his eyes have a look of anxious impotence. He would do with all his heart, but he knows he dares not. The conversation of the man is much as I anticipated, a forest of thoughts, some true, many false, more part dubious, all of them ingenious in some degree, often in a high degree. But there is no method in his talk. He wanders like a man sailing among many currents whithersoever his lazy mind directs him, and, what is more unpleasant, he preaches, or rather soliloquizes. He cannot speak. He can only talk, so he names it. Hence I found him unprofitable, even tedious, but we parted very good friends, I promising to go back and see him some evening, a promise which I fully intend to keep. I sent him a copy of Meister, about which we had some friendly talk. I reckon him a man of great and useless genius, a strange, not at all a great man. 1824. End of section 25.